Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. The legends tell of a city there, deep in the jungles of South America. The conquistadors were the first to hear of it. Towering temples, vast roads and great kings, all of it paved with gold, so much gold that any man who laid eyes on it would be rich beyond his wildest dreams. And many believe these stories. Walter Raleigh, the famed explorer, gave up on his colony of Roanoke to continue the search for the mythical El Dorado. Countless men gave everything they had in search of these lost cities. And so, enter our protagonist. 1925, Mato Grosso, Western Brazil. The group of men has packed up their camp, but of the six there, only three head onwards. Two Brazilians and a native man have packed up their horses and are heading back towards civilization. The sun begins to rise over the Sertão, the Brazilian outback, They've camped at a place called Dead Horse Camp, so named because it was this spot on the last expedition that the white leader's horse died. Not a great portent if you go in for superstition. The Brazilians were brought on as extra muscle, but they refused to go any further into the unexplored regions. After all, they've heard the stories. Cannibal tribes, venomous animals, humidity that saps your strength in a day, and monsters of all kinds hiding in the dark brush. There's a reason they call it the Green Hell. The native man is a message runner. He carries with him now what will be the last communication from his employer. The white man and his two friends are going to head onward into the jungle and what he's taking will be their final communications back to civilization in case the worst should happen. The white man doesn't seem nervous though. Despite the coming adventure being fraught with danger of every kind, he remains steadfastly optimistic. He's decently well equipped with a train of donkeys, dogs, horses, equipment for every need, navigation, hunting, self-defense, survival, you name it. And he's no greenhorn either, this isn't his first foray into the jungles of South America, and he's been through hell of a different kind. He fought on the Western Front in the First World War, so there's very little in there that can scare him more than that did. He served all over the world as a spy, a military man, and an explorer. Hong Kong, Sri Lanka, Malta, Bolivia, North Africa? He even inspired Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. If anyone can find what he's looking for, it's him. And so the three men turn back as the other three head forward. The native runner will pass on the letter which works its way into the hands of the white man's wife. And what he's done is more important than he knows, because whilst for him this is just a routine delivery, for her it's the last cherished memory she'll ever have of her husband and her son. The man who ventures forwards is Percy Fawcett. He's accompanied by his son, Jack, and his son's friend, Raleigh Rimmel. None of them will ever be seen again, alive or dead. And this, their final fateful mission, 
is the search for the lost city of Zed. Hello and welcome to Demystified with Ashley Stars. Now before we tell the story of Percy Fawcett, I think it would be useful to first discuss the phenomenon of the Lost City, because it's what will drive Percy Fawcett's life and ultimately result in his death. We don't know that the expedition killed him, but he was never seen alive again, so one way or another he walked into the jungle and never walked out. The trope of the Lost City goes back to ancient times. The Assyrian capital of Nineveh, for example, was a resplendent temple city, but after the empire collapsed, so too did the city. When Alexander the Great's troops entered it long after, they found it almost totally intact, but a ghost town, with what few squatters remained, not even remembering what the city was called. But as for as many times as the stories are true, there's hundreds of times where the stories are not true. The truth is the exception that proves the rule more often than not. They become little more than metaphors for the perils of exploration without forethought. Take, for example, El Dorado. We might cover it in a later episode, so I won't go into it fully here, but suffice to say, it was nothing more than a metaphor for the greed of those who sought to plunder the new world. Like how Dick Whittington, for example, was told that the streets of London were paved with gold, well, that was never going to be the case. Walter Raleigh's career, for example, was a great example of this. He had promising colonies in North America, decent thriving trade, but was more enamoured with the possibility of finding a great golden city that he basically gave it all up in search of that. The next big example, however, ended up solidifying the trope in the minds of European explorers forever. Whilst at one point people started to accept that a lot of lost cities were just stories, the finding of Angkor Wat changed everything. The YouTube channel Extra Credit's got a great series out on it now, by the way. Angkor Wat was the capital of the medieval Khmer Empire in what is now Cambodia. Due to socioeconomic reasons and political changes, the capital eventually moved further down the Mekong River and Angkor was somewhat abandoned. But then some European explorers, quote, discovered it from the 16th century onwards, by which I mean, of course, they were shown it by locals who already knew it was there because it was never fully abandoned. When they saw the towering spires, glittering bar-reliefs overgrown with the jungle, they couldn't believe their eyes. It legitimized every story of a lost city because here was one, in the flesh, or in the stone, as the case may be. But there was also a healthy dose of colonial narrative there, too. The Europeans refused to believe, at first, that the Khmer could have built the city. It was far too primitive a civilization. So they thought it must have been constructed by Alexander the Great, which only added to the theme of lost cities being constructed by a highly advanced, unknown peoples. Think an older version of the ancient aliens theory. From then on, though, it was off to the races. After all, Europe was entering the zenith of its, quote, discovery period, finding new things all around the world. And now that one lost city had been found, there could be any number out there. And once again, enter our protagonist, Percy Harrison Fawcett. Born in Devon in 1867, he was raised in an environment that spurred a fascination with the unknown. His father was born in India and was a fellow of the Royal Geographical Society. His older brother became a mountain climber and a student of Eastern occultism. As such, Percy went into the army. He was commissioned as a lieutenant in the artillery company and got to serve all over the world. Hong Kong, Malta, Ceylon, now Sri Lanka. He earned a passion for exploration and danger, and it was this drive that got him working for the British Secret Service in North Africa, where he learned a valuable trade that would define the rest of his life, surveying and map-making. 
This enabled him to earn places on Royal Geographical Society missions to explore the wilds and map them. He was first sent to Bolivia in 1906. He was there as a third-party navigator since Brazil and Bolivia were having some pretty serious disputes over where the border lay in the jungles. So he went into the jungle to map the region, and he came out a changed man. Because what he saw in there astounded him. Dogs with two noses, snakes bigger than bears, giant spiders, and flora that blew any English country garden out of the water. He fell in love with the Amazonian rainforest, and the experience of his first expedition never left him, even as his colleagues ridiculed his claim of shooting a 62-foot-long anaconda, which, you know, I find pretty hard to believe myself. In 1908, he traced the source of the river Rio Verde, and in 1910, he found the source of the Heath River on the Peruvian-Bolivian border, and then retired from the army. In 1911, he took another trip into the jungles of Bolivia, this one somewhat less well-fated. The expedition had to turn back after James Murray, a prominent Arctic explorer who'd been on Shackleton's Nimrod expedition, who was therefore unused to the difficulties of tropical exploration, became very, very sick, so Fawcett redirected the expedition to bring Murray out of the jungle. Murray, for his part, felt slighted by Fawcett and almost sued him, and he himself went missing on another expedition two years later, the ill-fated Karluk Arctic expedition. But in 1914, everything changed for Percy Fawcett. He was researching one day when he came across a series of documents pertaining to the early voyages of Portuguese explorers into the Brazilian Amazon. From these documents, he formulated the idea that there was, in fact, a lost civilization deep in the heart of the jungle, which he called the Lost City of Zed. He'd first started conceiving of Zed back in 1906, but it was in 1914 that he put pen to paper and started to map out what he believed was a legendary lost city. Zed was the name that Fawcett gave to it. Uh, it didn't have one. Maybe this was a holdover from his days of a spy to give it such a weird designation. Maybe he just thought it sounded cool. In particular, one document, Manuscript 512, which was supposedly written by the Portuguese explorer and slaver Jao de Silva Gumiares in 1753, told of a hidden city in the outback of Bahia State in northern Brazil. This hidden city supposedly had great arches, tall temples, and hieroglyphics, described in great detail but with no location given. Other evidence included pottery he'd found on previous expedition, paths he'd believed to be straight roads through the jungle and therefore being built by a civilized people, and earthen mounds built into the Amazon floodplain. All of this suggested to him that there was a civilization out there more settled and more advanced than the previously encountered tribes of the Amazon, and that they had a lost city that was ripe for the finding. So Fawcett comes up with a theory, two possible locations of a lost city. One to the west, which he called the Lost City of Zed, in the heart of the Amazon. This was his primary theory, as for him it better explained how the Lost City hadn't been yet found. The second location to the northeast in Bahia. Perhaps closer to civilization, but lost enough and attested by Manuscript 512. For him, this was a secondary objective. Fawcett, for his part, was more interested in the City of Zed than any other stories. All others, for him, were just evidence that Lost Cities existed, and that therefore proof, by proxy, that Zed existed. He became obsessed with finding it. But then the First World War broke out, and Fawcett, ever the army man and patriot, re-enlisted to serve. He fought on the Western Front in an artillery brigade, as was his forte, and was mentioned in dispatches three times, as well as getting a distinguished service order for his bravery. When the war ended, he went right back to finding Zed. He attempted a solo expedition in 1920, but this went quite badly. He had to shoot his pack animal and suffered a fever, and then turned back. Then we get to 1925, where Percy Fawcett catches his big break. 
a London-based group of financiers, calling themselves The Glove, caught wind of Fossett's attempt to find Zed and became very interested in it. Maybe they wanted the fame for helping him find it. Maybe they genuinely thought it was a city paved of gold and wanted the money. Maybe they just really liked exploration. Whatever the reason, The Glove agreed to finance another expedition into the Amazon. Fawcett took his son Jack, 22 years old at the time, as well as Jack's best friend, Riley Rimmel. The 1925 expedition was the best prepared one yet for finding Zed. Provisions included canned food, powdered milk, and flares. He chose his two companions because he knew that his son would be loyal to him, and Riley Rimmel would be loyal to his son. Moreover, both Jack and Riley were fit, healthy, far younger than Fawcett, who at the time was 57, and generally quite able. Now, Jack and Riley had dreams of returning from the expedition as heroes and moving to Hollywood to become movie stars. Unfortunately, this didn't turn out. Foster's decision to only take two people with him was based on prior experiences. He wanted to travel light, as the jungle was so thick that, at slowest, they'd be moving at about a half a mile a day. Moreover, bigger groups with more people who didn't know each other could be prone to mutiny, and in the jungle that would be a death sentence. But the decision was far from an orthodox one and was criticised by a lot of people. Say, Jack falls and breaks his leg. He then needs to be carried out of the jungle by Rimmel and Fawcett, who A, need to be able to carry him and not unduly slowed down, nor sacrifice crucial supplies to do so, and B, he himself needs to survive a possible infection with no dedicated doctor there to help him. Now, they did take two Brazilian porters, but they turned back before Fawcett took Jack and Rimmel into the deeper jungle. I haven't been able to find why they turned back, maybe they just didn't want to go, maybe uh, Fawcett sent them back, either way, they left and Fawcett took the other two onwards. The expedition was very closely followed by the media, newspapers as far away as the LA Times in America were issuing constant updates on the expedition as the letters came back, delivered by the native runners. The final communication was dated May 29th, 1925, the letter to Fawcett's wife, one month after the expedition had set off. Two years later, in 1927, Fawcett and his expedition were declared lost by the Royal Geographical Society. Despite the fact that Fawcett explicitly stated that no expedition should be sent to look for him, lest they suffer the same fate, a wealth of expeditions would go and over a hundred people would die in the search for Fawcett. Or so they say. In reality, that number is far from verified, and we only know for sure that one person died looking for Fawcett, a solo expedition. In 1927, American explorer George Miller Dyett claimed to have found evidence that Fawcett was killed by natives, but he didn't really have any evidence for that. In 1930-31, Aloha Wonderwell, her real name was Idris Welsh, used her seaplane to try and find Fawcett. After ditching in the jungle and living with natives for six weeks, she and her husband returned to Brazil empty-handed. In 1951, an expedition found human remains, but these ended up being unrelated to Fawcett. And so, Fawcett fades into history and into memory, with no trace. So with the story told, what happened to Percy Fawcett? Henry Coston, a man who'd been with Fawcett on five of his previous expeditions, said he was dead. He thought it was unlikely that Fawcett was killed by natives. He'd always had a good relation with them in the past. He figured exhaustion and starvation were the pain culprits. In a 1991 book, we get an account that might have some weight, the first proper account. Arnie Falkruner, a Danish explorer, visited the Amazon in the 60s. Whilst there, he'd met Orlando Vias-Boas, a famous indigenous rights activist. 
Viasboas had claimed to have met a native man who had claimed that his tribe had killed Fossid and his companions. The native man said that, due to a mishap on the river, Fossid lost most of his gifts for the natives, so they continued onwards with nothing on their person, and when they met a native tribe and didn't present a gift, that was considered a serious faux pas. You see, the rule of the Amazon was basically this. Native tribes were far more than happy to host explorers most of the time, provided that the hospitality and help was reciprocated with a gift, at the very least to show good faith and you're not being a scrounger. When they met the Calapalo tribe, they were already in very poor health, and so when it was found that they didn't have any gifts, they were murdered. Jack and Raleigh were thrown in the river, but Fawcett, being an old man and therefore distinguished, was given a burial. Falkrona went to try and confirm the story himself, and he met with the Calapalo, and reported that one of their tribesmen confirmed the story of Viaspoas. Viaspoas himself brought back what he thought to be Fawcett's bones for scientific analysis. On first analysis, it was confirmed that they were Fawcett's, but Fawcett's living son Brian disputed it. They then tried again, and it revealed that the bones weren't Fawcett's, so they remain inconclusive evidence. In 1998, English explorer Benedict Allen went with the BBC team to interview the Calapalo. One elder man claimed that his tribe had nothing to do with the disappearance of Fawcett and that the Viasboas bones were unrelated. Now, the Viasboas story is interesting. Viasboas himself was a native rights activist, very prominent, one of the first non-missionaries to live with the natives of the Amazon, see them as equals and become a genuine friend. The legal protections that he and his two brothers helped pass were some of the most important in Brazilian history in protecting the indigenous people of Brazil and their way of life. I say that so that we can look at his statement that the natives admitted to killing Fawcett. He didn't do it out of some colonial sense of those savages killed the white explorer. Whilst Costin said that Fawcett was friendly with the natives, it is possible that they could have killed him out of mercy. The initial report said that he was very sick when they found him and he didn't have any gifts. So look at it through a similar lens as the men of the Franklin expedition. When they were come across by the Inuit, they were already dying of scurvy, tuberculosis, botulism, lead poisoning, starvation, and frostbite. The Inuit eventually left them after feeding them because they realized they couldn't support them indefinitely. So maybe it was a similar thing. They were already dying and couldn't be saved. The natives basically just decided to euthanize them. Cold? Yes, but that's the way it goes in the jungle, perhaps. But we just don't have any firm evidence. Falkrona travelled to get a confirmation of the story, and he apparently got one, but he was writing down what he'd experienced, and so we don't have any physical facts. The Viasboas bones first tested positive, and Brian Fawcett disputed it. Viasboas claimed that Brian was attempting to milk money out of his father's death. Ouch. But the bones later turned out to be fake. Or maybe not fake, just not genuine. And I say that because why would Viasboas fake it? He and his two brothers were already famous, and are still today famous in Brazil for their work protecting native tribes, and concocting a fake story of cold-blooded murder wouldn't help further a cause that they'd spent their lives working for. So my best guess was that if the story is untrue, Viasboas genuinely believed that the bones were fossils, at least when he came into possession of them, and that he didn't try and fake it, he just thought that he was portraying the truth. The next theory we get is, and brace yourself, very, very wacky. In 2004, The Observer published the findings of TV director Misha Williams. He believed that the Fossets had decided not to return. The expedition wasn't one of finding Zed, but instead going to set up a commune in the jungle based around theosophy and the worship of his son Jack. So I'm going to have to explain theosophy a little bit. It was an occultic New Age religion founded in America in the 1870s. 
It was believed that there was a secret cabal of people called the Masters, based in Tibet but located all around the world, who knew the secret truth behind all world religion. It was effectively a combination of all religions. It believed in reincarnation, but also believed in a single divine being. It claimed to be descended from an ancient elder religion, from which all other religions today are descended and still exist in some forms today, believe it or not, although most modern theosophists don't consider themselves to be a religion. The evidence presented by Williams, which let's take it with a grain of salt because it was part of research for a play that he wrote, was that Fawcett idolised his older brother Edward. Remember in the beginning when he said he was an Eastern occultist? This is what he was big into. Edward was a key early member of the Theosophist movement and helped push it into the public spotlight. Percy Fawcett did actually turn to a psychic for help in finding Zed, that so much is true, and at one point he did himself theorise that Zed could have been an outpost for the lost city of Atlantis. This all sounds pretty bonkers, and it is, but there is some evidence to suggest that Fawcett was very taken with the supernatural vision of Zed. Whether he was simply following in his brother's footsteps, or whether he genuinely believed that there was a hidden truth to be found in the jungles, there is something to the idea that Fawcett may have had occultist leanings himself. That said, I find it very doubtful that he was founding a commune. For one, who founds a commune with three people? He could have just intended to set it up, but he didn't leave any way for other people to find the commune, and in fact he specifically instructed people not to follow him. For another thing, the expedition was very much not packed for founding a commune. Supplies and navigational equipment, Sure. But no materials, no construction supplies. Where are the hammers? Where are the axes? The saws? No bricks, no lumber, no mortar, nothing. To me it seems kind of baseless to assert that he intended to get lost forever and found a theosophist compound, but I could be persuaded that Fawcett did believe that Zed was the key to unlocking the secrets of theosophy, which is why he was so obsessed with it. In 2005, David Gran published The Lost City of Zed, later adapted into the movie with Charlie Hunnam in the lead role. Gran was a staff writer for The New Yorker and had visited the Calipalo. He claimed that they had had an oral tradition of stories of Fawcett, because Fawcett and his crew were among the first Europeans who had ever met the tribe. Gran's account is that the party stayed safely with the Calipalo, but then chose to venture further into territory inhabited by, quote, fierce Indians, against the warnings of the Calipalo. It was these natives that killed Fawcett and smoke from Fawcett's camp was seen for five days before disappearing. Gran also outlines what might be the final legacy of Fawcett, an actual archaeological site in the area called Kuhikugu. Kuhikugu was uncovered by the archaeologist Michael Heckenberger, who worked alongside a native tribe who were likely the original inhabitants of it. The site is still being examined today, but the evidence suggests that the city did once exist there. Palisade walls, fish farms, large plazas, roads with bridges and canals are all some of the features believed to have been at the site. So Gran implies that Fawcett wasn't mad, there really was a lost city of Zed, and that Zed was Kuhikugu. He was close to finding it too, the site of Kuhikugu was north of where Fawcett was last seen, and where he is thought to have died. Let's now run all of this through one last analytical lens, that of Canadian explorer John Hemming. In 2017, he wrote an article in The Spectator predominantly about the movie, but then more about Fawcett himself, and he absolutely slated the man. Hemming argued that Fawcett was a bad explorer. His expeditions were very rarely supplied with what they actually needed, since he often relied very heavily on rubber plantations providing food at way stations. He also claims that Fawcett was in fact a racist. 
He looked down on the natives of the region, considering them to be noble at best and savages at worst, having even killed one of them in a prior armed confrontation. And we have a quote here from Fawcett himself. There are three kinds of Indians. The first are docile and miserable people, easily tamed. The second, dangerous, repulsive cannibals, very rarely seen. And the third, a robust and fair people who must have a civilized origin. The evidence comes from a series of journals and diaries of Fossis that were published posthumously by his son, Brian. Hemming argued from his own experience as a jungle explorer that Fawcett might as well have been suicidal. You can't blaze a trail and feed your party with fewer than eight men. But Fawcett chose to take three, two of whom were inexperienced as explorers. He then sent his two porters, as well as a lot of his pack animals, back. His second suicidal idea was that the natives would feed him. Harkening back to his days of being provided for by rubber plantations, as we discussed before, the natives were hospitable, but very much expected reciprocation. If you couldn't pay your proverbial bar tab, you'd be chucked out at best. From this account, Hemming asserts that Fawcett was a bad explorer whose only skill was as a surveyor, and that his secretiveness around Zed was what got him killed. In particular, he refused support from the Brazilian Indian service. Hemming argues that Gran, a man who isn't a jungle explorer, took quotes of his out of context, and that his own extensive research into the Amazon all but disproves Gran's account and book. In this view, Fawcett was a maverick and a skilled surveyor, but Zed was built on a shoddy foundation, and Fawcett got himself and his crew killed, and any actual evidence of a lost city nearby is a coincidence. Should be worth noting that Kuhikugu is a real site, but Hemming is arguing that Fawcett didn't discover it. So what do I think happened? Well, it's a little bit of everything. Hemming's research is hard to deny. I'll admit, when I first read that Fawcett took two people into the jungle, neither of whom were experienced explorers, I figured he'd never make it. The evidence I could find for the existence of Zed was sketchy at best. The figure cut by Kuhikugu is certainly impressive, and it may yet prove to change the way that we view pre-Columbian Amazonian society. But it's likely that it's unrelated with Fawcett's vision. And all the stuff about theosophy, Eastern occultism, visions, and psychics? I'll admit it's extremely entertaining, it could be the basis for a great horror or thriller film, but it's also, rationally speaking, bunkum. I mean not to offend any theosophists out there, I'd say it if you told me that any other religion or philosophy had inspired a suicidally dangerous jungle expedition. I don't believe that that's what Fawcett was after. Interested in and obsessed? Sure. But Zed to him was more than that. Whilst he may have had racist leanings, as was the fashion at the time, that third category of natives from his prior quote, those of a civilized background, that's what he was looking for. Now, I'm not trying to exonerate his backwards views, but I think that he thought, unlike a lot of other people at the time, that indigenous people were capable of city building and aimed to prove it. Remember I've talked about the ancient aliens theories and the talk about Angkor Wat and the Khmer Empire, the fact that people at the time believed that native groups were not capable of building great cities, be it in Asia or Africa or South America. Fawcett therefore was unique for his time in believing that they were capable of it, and that he was out to find the group that did build it and prove that these native people, whilst a lot of them he did disparage, were capable of things that Europeans were capable of. The Vius Boas account more or less provides all that you need to know, really. Even if the bones were fake, which they likely were, Fawcett being killed by the natives because he didn't have gifts for them seems to be the front-runner theory. In my opinion, I'd see it as them attempting to be more merciful, it paints a slightly nicer picture, 
But if you'd like to believe that the natives killed him because they were affronted by his disrespect and a lack of hospitality, I would also say that's entirely viable and you'd be fine for thinking that. So there you have it. Fawcett goes into the jungle to look for Zed, runs out of food, runs out of supplies, doesn't have gifts, goes to try and get help from a local group, doesn't have gifts and they kill him. What can we learn from the story? Well, I guess all that glitters isn't gold. For the longest time, Fawcett has been seen as this great adventurer, and with the discovery of Kuhikugu, he was even seen at one point as ahead of his time. But maybe it's better to put him in a different box of explorer. I wouldn't put him in the same box as the hated Christopher Columbus, but deluded idiot whose backwards beliefs made him wrong about basically everything he's remembered for seems to be increasingly the category to put him in. If he's guilty of anything, it's getting poor Raleigh Rimmel kid. That kid just wanted to be a movie star. He believed the whole thing would be a quick jaunt in the jungle to get some exposure before going to Hollywood and make it big. Jack would have followed his dad anyway, I think. There's something about that filial piety that's in everybody. Not everyone has that strong a bond with our parents, but if my dad wanted to drop everything at a drop of a hat and go out to the middle of the jungle, I'd at least want to have some involvement to make sure he was okay. At the time, that would require being there in person, so that's maybe why Jack went. I'll leave it up to you to decide. Was he a brave hero who championed the idea that there was a lost civilization to prove the competence and intelligence of the natives of Brazil? Or was he a suicidal racist idiot who became obsessed with hokey pseudoscience and got him, his son, and a family friend killed because he expected to be treated like a god? I think the truth is somewhere in the middle. An explorer, but a man of his time. He saw himself as progressive, but maybe not progressive enough to make the impact that he was hoping to have. And so it was with his experience, enough to be a famous explorer, but not enough to actually survive the impossibly dangerous trip, that we end up with the story of the lost city of Zed. This has been Demystified with Ashley Styles. This episode was written, researched, and recorded by me, Ashley Styles, with hosting help from Wizard Studios. Music from ProductionCrate.com. Go to ProductionCrate.com for all of your royalty-free music needs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are, leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.